Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk more topics from the field as we see some different things emerging out there. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at some new technologies that debuted at CES 2023, including an ag drone. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about a bizarre farm story of a boy buried alive. In Cool Beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. Well, it's still pretty warm out there. Yesterday got nice and toasty. Very toasty. Max, you said the... Feels like it was 99 where you were yesterday? Yeah, 10.30 in the morning, it was 99, the the, re- the real feel. <sighs> Lovely. Yep, it was warm. Just what we want during pollination, some nice hot weather. At least the nights are cool. Very cool. And then, and the hot hasn't been like, like that hot hasn't been like every day. Right. Like a week and a half ago when they showed last week's forecast, it was like every day. And then it only became one day. Yeah, and I'm one day is enough of that. Right. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> one day was enough. You don't like just standing there and talking to and your sweat drawers and just felt like you took a bath. Yeah, it was we had a field day yesterday and I brought an extra shirt along <laughs> for after setup. It's always a good day when you sweat through like two sets of shirts and right. get home and the shower never felt so good when you've got all the sweat and grime from a day like yesterday. The sweat really helps work the corn pollen into your pores. Yeah. That's my favorite part. Yep. You got like a, you got like almost like a, I don't know, a yellow like slime or sludge on your arms at the end of the day. It's yeah, so you good. You can't just brush it off because it just melted into the sweat. Right. That's what yeah. I'm, like when it's, when you're like 70 and you're walking in and it's pollinating, it's like, okay, I'm sneezing, but just kind of give this a brush when yeah when it's a hundred and it's pollinating it's stuck to you instantly this is turning into great yeah great radio here visual right visual yes three grown men talking about their sweat who wouldn't want to listen to that podcast all right you ready i'll change the subject it may be hot but it's football season. football's back baby let's go yep family night for the packers this weekend you going bill no 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 matt nope you guys got families. We do. We do. But you didn't have time to stand in line for tickets for family night the day they go on sale and sell it the all first twenty minutes. Now, right? Yeah, you, there's not even you can't even use tickets at Lambeau Field anymore. You gotta have yep, everything's on digital. your phone. But yeah, I think you go to a couple of them and then it's okay. Every like three years or so, I. There's some tickets that are offered for free or basically free, and that's about when I'm gonna go. Yep. Um, I guess this this year there because normally it's like a lot of blaze orange or they'll do different things. This year's white out. They want to white out Lambeau Field yeah, for I'm family night. Kind of confused by why we would do that at a practice. Like, yeah, I'm not really sure. I can see like you know Penn State does it for night games. They're white out to like. I'm sure it just jacks up the crowd or whatever but for practice i'm not sure there's also big news in packer practice uh, earlier this week peyton when peyton manning showed oh, up. oh yeah i heard peyton manning showed up oh, that was big time it's like wait he never played for us what's he doing here 
a lot of talk that he was here because uh, Jordan Love was going to be on uh, the quarterback. Oh. Uh, that Did was, you watch that at all yet? I have. Is it good? Yeah, actually. It makes you like Kirk Cousins. That was the only thing I didn't like about him. <laughs> He's a likable guy. He is a likable Like, in all honesty, he is a likable guy. I don't want him to be my quarterback, but like, because he gets a ton of money for how good he is. But for how not good he is? He gets paid above what he's probably worth. Yeah. But he's always bet on himself and then played well enough in those years to. Yeah, he plays just good enough not to get fired. Yeah. Yeah, he elevates his level on contract years. That's kind of. And then he's still average. Like, the, the, the best you can do is, you know, second round of the playoffs. Like, that's like yeah. the top of the. Or get hammered in the first round, like last year. Yeah. yeah or do that. I got to watch that. I'm kind of just kind of interested in that. Yeah, yeah, it was any hard knocks watchers because I hear the Jets are. I normally do, but I don't know if I want to pay for the HBO for two months to watch hard knocks. Yeah. To watch Aaron Rodgers be a. He was a little baby about it because he didn't want to be in it in the first place. Well, Giddy is a schoolgirl about his new team. Yeah. They're definitely, the Packers are really pushing how different the vibe is and the atmosphere at training camp is already this year with basically an amazing. Right. Like doing things. The the diva D bag is gone and. It's just, I've heard it like five different times how better the atmosphere is around so he just must have like like been pissed off all the time like everybody's walking on eggshells because don't piss off the quarterback <laughs> no, they had him on run the right route or he's gonna chew your ass so the Jets don't have a great start to the season for having a pretty much a new offensive system in place with new quarterback new receivers they've Couple other guys, former Packers, have said that they could see him going like zero and six or five and one early in the season. That'd be great. It would be great. But do you think that would lead to the second part of the Aaron Rodgers follows Brett Favre's legacy, and <laughs> so he tanks at the Jets like Favre did, yep. and then gets traded to the Vikings next year, or because could Kirk Cousins get injured and or have something happen? Uh- I'm more looking at uh, the Devonte Adams going to New going York. To New York, yeah. That thirty million, oh, thirty-two million he cleared. I didn't in, think about that. It fits his contract almost perfectly. And there's a lot of disgruntled, disgruntledness. Yep. I don't know how you say that. So you think that's why? Well, now that, his contract. Now that Carr yeah. is gone, like. I, I just nodded for everybody. I just nodded yep. to Matt. Very like, yep. Um, unfortunately, yeah. With Carr being gone, and the whole deal was well. Devonte has also become a villain in my book, I, and I was the biggest Devonte guy in the world. You were. You had his jersey on and got ridiculed. Yeah. Early in his career, did you even get beer thrown on you? Yeah. Of it? Yeah. That game was rough. <laughs> that game was rough. It, it, but and that was, I don't know, Devonte. The next closest when he got traded or when it was over, the next that was the closest to Favre. I think for me, as far as heartbroken, sad Packer fan. And I get sad Packer fan. I full depression, <laughs> like about it. So, and if he goes to the Jets, then the whole like I got to be closer to family was just a bunch of crap. Well, well you, yeah. it was. <clears throat> I mean, I thought it. I wanted to believe him. I tried to, but I was like, no way. Like, yeah. there's, there's no way. And now, 
he wants out of uh, Vegas. and He just got pissed off because the Packers didn't offer him enough money initially, like a year prior to his contract, right? Like that, they were trying to negotiate, and he felt, quote, disrespected, right? That's all these guys say they disrespected when they don't get... Yeah, when they don't get enough money. Right. And then they tried to, Packers tried to last-ditch effort, and it wasn't good enough. Can only afford a Gulfstream 5, not a Gulfstream 6. Right. What the heck? Uh, that was my... Have you, you ever seen that episode of South Park? I have not. Where it's like the... How we... They're parodying like how you should feel bad for celebrities. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Look at Britney Spears. She can only fly in a Gulfstream 5. Normally, she'd be on a Gulfstream 6. And I don't uh, remember the other examples, but it was all... Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I feel real bad for you because you're only making... Fifty million this year instead of sixty, like boo hoo. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, they had him on last night, Rogers, on the game. Yeah, they had him they in the third quarter. They put a headset him? on him. Yeah, and he was on the side on the sideline watching. Yep. And he was trying to do the I'm watching very intently as my backup plays. All oh, right. <laughs> you know he wasn't he wasn't doing the I'm disinterested in the game thing like he always did here, but it was forced. Like you could. And then he, you know, it was just, oh, yeah, I'm just so happy to be here. It's so cool. I've been going to Broadway. Like, it's so awesome. Well, yeah, that's really the, for him, oh, the yeah. scene in New York oh, is yeah. perfect for his ego. Yeah. He gets to meet all the celebrities. What ego? He doesn't have an ego. <laughs> then he said, like, yeah, if you're in Green Bay for 18 years, you just kind of go on autopilot mode and you don't realize what's actually out there. And I was like, all right, dude, you know what? Pound sand. Now I wish we would have left you in the green room a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's friend who does like musicals and stuff throughout, she knows some people in New York, goes to New York every year. Uh, when Aaron Rodgers went to the Tonys, she's like, yeah, I'm watching with friends of mine who like are invested in these. And I'm like, wait, is that Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> so they're like offended that he's there. Not offended, just surprised. Like, like why? Yeah. Like what is... What is going on here? Better than all this, though, guys. Did you see what Lafleur said in his interview this week? I did not. I did not. They no. were interviewing him after training camp one day I after s- practice. I saw the like the the screen the grab screenshot. But yeah, I didn't listen. And he they 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 asked the question something about it came up in the question. You know, there's a lot of a lot of former Packers out in New York now, and he goes Green Bay East, <laughs> Green Bay East. And they continued to ask the question. It was very funny. And you can see in the video, like, you can see the gears turning in his head as they're going through this. Like, should I say this? Should yeah. I not say this? Should I say this? I'm glad he said it. That's like, awesome. I think it's great. Well, they had, um, Zabe had, had, um, Mark Murphy on yesterday morning. And he was, like, pretty much all in on the 65% snaps, like, Yep, we got to get him sixty five percent, and I hope they go four and whatever, four and thirteen or whatever. Yep, it, kind of the same deal. Like, should you be saying that as the <laughs> brass of the Packers that you I want? Mean, it's all our draft pick, right? Yeah, it is. So he's getting ready to retire. He's he got is. his golf course in Door County. He just bought. Yep, he'll be set. Seventy. Yeah. He has to just seventieth birthday is his last day. Oh, that's what he said. That's, that's, that's his 70th birthday. The bylaws of the Packers is oh, I see. the president has to resign. And how old is he now? I'm looking it up. Yeah. It's got to be close. Because I know he's been talking about it for like two years. Ooh, now, July 13th, 1955. He's 68. So we got two, two years. Yeah. Ish. 
Because oh, he, he just turned 68. It'll be a year because I would assume they're going to get the next guy in place as he... You'd think so. Right, there'd be a transition, yeah. For reference, John Riggins is 74 years old. That was the, the next three suggested people after Mark Murphy age was Aaron Rodgers, Art Monk, and John Riggins. So <laughs> well, he, quite, was a, he was a redskin. Yeah. Yeah. So was Art Monk. So him and Zabe were just giving her yesterday back and forth about Redskin stuff, and they were talking about Riggins. So they sure. said the name is going to go back uh, this morning on the radio when I was coming in. Redskins? Yeah. Really? Yeah, which I find hard to believe. But I Well, did, they said that they did say it was going to change. From Commanders? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're already they're already like done with that. Yeah, they're gonna, the new ownership. Uh, new group. owners are gonna oh sure rename it. But I I'd be surprised if they went back. I to think the Redskins. Mo- I think most people agree that Dan Snyder butchered the whole na- new name. Like, well, he butchered everything. Right, right, right. Maybe but, they'll go back to the Washington Football Team. Yeah, I like that better than the Commanders. Yeah, he should be in jail. Honestly, the guy should be in jail. Yeah. I'd rather them be the football team than the commanders. I like the football team better. I thought that was funny. <laughs> like, if you're going to be bad, be funny. Right. Don't be bad and boring. Be be <laughs> bad and funny. All right. You guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. Let's go. So last week we kind of covered a few things about pollination. Like we mentioned earlier, it's pollination time. Things are kind of moving. But now with the heavier dews, the cool nights, starting to see the potential for some other diseases pop in that we thought maybe we wouldn't see. So one of our colleagues shared a picture of some white mold yesterday, and that's something I've been watching for but haven't been seeing. You guys see any out there? I haven't yet. Side note, though, that colleague always finds a way to just ruin our day. Like every (laughs) once a week, maybe, once a month for sure. I'd say it's close to once a week. Yeah. He, he just He's the one that just finds stuff and then has to just get us all riled up and be... I, I had a grower that was worried he had it, and I went out and looked at it, because he's like, oh, yeah, there's white stuff on my soybeans. Like, okay, like, is it big and fluffy? Uh, kind of. It was not, but it was actually, it looked like stem rot. Oh, so sure. There are some diseases out there, even if we're not seeing the white mold as widespread, but the conditions are there now where beans are finally kind of canopied, got moisture there. Of course, now we have moisture. Right. I'm hopeful. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a terrible white mold year, but... I'm hopeful that because of the dry weather we had and talking about the bottom, you know, portion of the plant is where the white mold kind of comes in because of rain and splashing and all that, that when those flowers were there, really... Hadn't rained a lot yet in general. Yeah, it's true. For the now, inoculation portion correct. of the And now I'm hoping disease. that in the last you know two weeks is kind of when really we've started to get consistent more rains that those flowers were done. Maybe the pods were setting. I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah. No, I don't want to see it either. And I think you're right, Bill. I think the the inoculation part usually happens because of number of factors, but the heavy rains definitely contribute, you know, kicking all that dirt and those spores up into the flowers, and we just didn't have that. And I think a lot of growers, when it was time to spray for white mold, because, you, you know, usually we try to hit it twice with approach or whatever, like, they didn't want to spend the money, or right. like, well, it's dry, should I do it? So there was a lot of, a lot of hemming and hawing at that point. 
And there are a lot of crappy bean, like not so good bean fields out there that probably aren't going to get white mold because they're not as right. Bushy, they won't canopy all that kind of fun yeah. stuff. But there's some really nice. Like it's the point of the year where my scouts complain about walking walking fields, and I hate walking bean fields mm-hmm. because. You can't like literally. They're just so entangled, yep. and even <laughs> road soybeans that are at your waist, you just it sucks, and you get tired literally. Yeah, it's it's funny how it happened that last year a little bit too. Like in the last three weeks here, beans really kicked into high gear, yeah, and went from like some of them went from like a foot tall to waist high. Right. Nice. I went. Oh, yeah, I would agree. I went from like. Mm, I don't know. I don't contract any beans, okay? To okay, Ooh, we, yeah. there might be some, might be some stuff. I'm, I'm still not thinking bin buster yields probably this year. I don't think you can go through that much stress and still get there. But they look a lot more promising. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's and really maturing fairly quickly too. Went from flowers to pods pretty fast. I've got some stuff that was. Just like started flowering three weeks ago, and now it's almost uh, pods all the way up. So it, it seemed like it took forever to get the flowers from right. what we normally it did. expect. Yeah, to... it did because it was well into July. Yeah, and usually we try to hit. You know, I've got a grower that his goal every year is flower at the summer solstice, which is what June twenty first, twenty second ish. Yeah, and it was July fifteenth. Well oh yeah. It was all of that. I mean, it wasn't... I remember walking fields on, on 4th of July, and it was not nothing then. Yeah. The 12th, for sure, before yeah. we saw just a couple. And then after that, last two weeks, it just exploded. And you're right. The pods seem to come on really fast. Because there's... I've got pods now where you can actually see the three, you know, three the beaners, beans. and yep. you can see the beans inside developing. Yeah, because usually it feels like they're flowered forever. Right. And... And then the pod set, and obviously with the daily dependency and all that stuff with soybeans, it makes sense. But still, it was just kind of interesting to see how quick things were coming on this late in the season. Um, another thing I've seen some people hypothesizing is tar spot, the potential for that to move in now with humidity and moisture. And uh, that's a real deal, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't looked at the tar. Our spotter. spotter website or the app yet, but I did see, I don't know if like the Midwest states or the Midwest universities have a website where you can go where the tar spot is spotted, but there was, that was starting to, to pop up pretty good too. Well, I've seen the, uh, you know, some of our chem reps and stuff send out those hazard yeah, risk maps. that's and, maybe what I was looking at. Yeah, and in general, we haven't been in a high risk for for very long or i don't think we even are at this point but it was wasn't like very low in some parts of the state it was there was a chance and the dues the last week and a half have been solid oh yeah <laughs> like i made my mistake i made the mistake of leaving my windows cracked in my truck a couple mornings ago and you get in and it's like big mistake a little squishy Ugh, it was just like felt like you're in the basement without the dehumidifier running just that that sticky yep. yeah yeah trying to i'm trying to look at the damon smith uh twitter page see if he's got some tar spotter reports on here but 
No luck. Not seeing any. Yeah, I haven't heard reports of actual tire spot in the state yet. I don't know if anybody's seen I'm anything. <laughs> I actually was in was in a field uh, last week with uh, one of our interns, and uh, I I took a phone call in the field, and he was standing next to me, and he found uh, some fly poop, sure. and was like shoving the leave in my face, <laughs> like I know what this is, and I was like, oh boy, and then I, st- I started doing the rub test, and I was like, hey, it's just just fly poop. Yep, let's chill out. You know, I'm on the phone, and he's like... He was disappointed, I bet. Well, no, I was like, good, no, good catch. Like, right, this right. is what it looks like, but here's how you kind of... But he was like, I'm on the phone, and he's like, <laughs> eyes are huge, and he's like shoving the leaf in my face, like, do you see this? <laughs> and I'm like, yep, that's, this is, we're in that time of year. Yeah. So, but I can't say I've confirmed any yet. Um, I usually can find, I'm usually near the epicenter of the tar spot outbreak, uh, Columbia County, and I have not found it yet, so... good. The guy we just talked about a few minutes ago, he'll be the one to get the whole company riled up about. Yeah, he'll have yeah. it. Yep. Well, he'll find he finds it, it in, finds it in Gresham or something like that. I was that. gonna say he'll find it in Anago somewhere crazy and be like <laughs> we'll be like all right. Hopefully it'll happen this year like it did last year where it's just like September first. Yeah, yeah late, it's just late the season. real late site, yeah. I had Tar Spot, I was looking through some of my notes. I had Tar Spot last year on July twenty fourth. Ooh. Well, we're it, past that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing. All right. Last week we talked a little bit about it, but rootworm beetles, have you guys seen it increase at all this week? I feel like yeah. I feel I, like yep. this year is going to be a bad year. And we've had like, you know, scouting rootworm beetles in the fall. I feel like the last three to five have been pretty timid. Yeah. I feel like this year we're not. No. Like just what's flying around. And I haven't seen a ton of like silk clippings yet. I got one field that's on my radar that I need to check on. Early next week, I'm finding more of them in hayfields even than hay yeah. bugs. Which that's, is that's not a good sign, right? It seems to indicate there's there's plenty of them out yeah. there. Yeah, zero leaf hoppers, three aphids, fourteen <laughs> rootworm beetles. What? That's not a good. That's not a good count there. It's that old extended diapause where you know we'd see them in bean fields. Now we're seeing them in hay when you rotate out. Yep. Uh oh. Yeah, we, um, I see more. Da- I'm seeing more damage this year too. Like I, there is. I don't know that the pressure is that much higher than last year in certain places for me. I still, I had some pretty good pressures last year, um, but damage that hasn't been. I haven't seen the scoring on the leaves or the silk clippings like I am this year. Um, we're actually gonna we're, we're gonna add some some bug juice in on our herb, on our fungicide passes because it's it's getting getting way over threshold on on damage now. So. Usually, you know, I target scouting first those older feet, right? The four-year, longer longer corn. So just watch those for sure. Obviously, most of the time, guys, if they're corn on corn that long, they're probably using traits anyway. But things, more guys have gone away from that, right? Of We're going to go back to just Roundup Ready or just less traits. You know, even even with the traits, I think sometimes the pressure is so heavy that it doesn't seem to yeah doesn't do as much as it's as you think it's going to. Yeah, there's there's a point. I mean, technology can only do so much. And we're we're I'm talking about managing them in thir- third year cornfields that I know are going to be four already next year. So it's like you know, let's let's be aggressive here and let's try and get ahead of this rather than wait for it to get ahead of us. So if I remember right, that threshold is like three quarter beetle per plant. Would be where you'd need to take treatment next year, whether that's traits or rotation or whatever. 
And that's a combination of our friends, Northern and Western. Yep. There's a talking with some, some, some of you guys this week and, you know, some other, you know, professionals in the industry that the sliding scale of beetles per plant, as well as damage and future rotation is where you kind of, there can be quite a sliding scale on, on that threshold. So yeah. Yeah. It definitely has a, an impact when you're walking in them and they're heavy pressure like that. It's like, Oh, like this seems really bad. And sometimes it's not as bad as you think it is, but sometimes it's worse. So, yep. All right. More wheat's been coming off this week. Seen a lot more combines rolling in this area. Anyway, I know max to the South, they were harvesting before now, but up here we seem to be catching rains, trying to get dive in between showers here and, Honestly, aside from one farm, it I think there was more done up here than there was down there. Even I just, it just kind of weird. They got they got a, they got one extra rain down there. Sure, like last week, and that kind of shut everything down. So, but it, a lot of it off. Yeah, and yields overall, I haven't heard too many really bad yields. I've heard some average guy. I talked to a guy from Winnebago County yesterday, and he said um, he averaged seventy. There were spots in the field where it was like really really good. Um, and then, then there's other guys that were right around 100 or even just over. So, it, Very surprising. Yeah, it is surprising how for how dry everything's been. The wheat did hold out this year. and I, I get Wednesday. I was at a grower west of town here, west of Tilth World Headquarters. And you get that proverbial, like, guess, guessing game. Or like, what do you think it yielded? Like, I hate that. Okay, in my brain, I'm like. Should I shoot high? Should I shoot low? Where should I go with this? And the field looked meh all year long. Like, it's, it was decent. Like, it wasn't great. It's right across the field from the farm, so that should have tipped me off. Like, it gets manure a lot. So he started, like, at 60, and he just was stone-faced. Like, okay. Then I went to, like, 80, and he was same. Like, just boom. Okay, 90, like almost feeling like price is right here, you know? And, yeah. And kind of got a little, twi- you could see his eyes, a little twi- twinkle in his eye. And then I, I think I went to 100 and I got to 100. I'm like, screw it. I'm going 120 because I know it's not, it wasn't that. But he's like, yeah, closer to that 120 than that 70. I'm like, okay. He's like, 104. I'm like, really? 104. That was pretty good. For a, I think. Our neighborhood up here, I say our, our home base, like yeah. anytime we're combining 80 plus, I'm like, all right, you know, we did pretty good this year. Yeah. Like, I'll take that. So right. when you start breaking that hundred, it's really he, like, nice. Yeah, he was just over the moon about, and he's said the straw was pretty good, which again, I don't really understand yeah, that. It's not like we you had expect chest it, yeah. high straw this year. It was a below your waist for the most part, but robust straw, I guess. Thicker it, straw. I did have one field. That got hit the area that got hit with hail uh, a week ago today. They were going to combine it on Monday, and it got hit with hail last Friday, and that yielded fifty eight, which actually I was surprised Still pretty by. Pretty good effort. He had another field that went like ninety, so he probably lost Almost thirty 40, bushel. Yeah, thirty good thirty. Yeah. He's got his cover crop planted though. Well, there you go. <laughs> but it was it was kind of sickening to look at it like. Sure. Thankfully, they had hail insurance, so I think it'll be covered or whatever. But there's like a narrow band that, like, a mile 
long by about three miles long by a mile wide. Just got. What What do you think? What do you think your highest farm average was? I think I'm gonna win, but because I had one that was bonkers. Well, I didn't have a lot of guys that had a ton of acres like. The one I was just talking about, he had one field, and the guy with the hail, he had three fields. One field is big, and the other two were really crappy. But so I don't know. I would guess I actually probably have the highest farm average and the lowest farm average. <laughs> I managed to do both. I had a Gloria yesterday told me farm average off the off the slips, like everything legit, legit one twenty four. That's yeah, that's really. Good. And I did not, I did not expect one twenty four. Yeah. So. I was, but I had a farm average 36. So, like I said, I probably had the highest and the lowest. Is that 36 one field? Uh, one farm. So it's like three fields, but it's one. You know the deal. It's one yeah. farm uh, that they picked up and just a giant sand hill. I mean, didn't half of it didn't have heads on it. The one thing I'm wondering about this year is you didn't see the blowouts in the wheat fields. The zeros. Right. That's what I told the... Yeah. The guy yesterday who told me 125 average, he's like, we grow decent wheat, but we've never done anything like that. And I said, but they have some lower ground. Yeah. And I said, that's where you took your zeros and made them 40s this year. That's all you had to do. Right. And think about it. Like, sometimes we plant wheat fields in the wetter fields because when we plant wheat in September, those those fields are dry, right? right. And then we forget about we'll roll the calendar to March and they'll be wet again. And it'll and, be underwater. Right. So it seemed like this year those burnout spots, those dead spots, weren't there. I'm and I'm hopeful, like fuzzing, fuzz switching the subject, but I'm hopeful in the those clay areas, like where you hail from, Max. Like the corn yields are going to be better because you don't see those areas in those fields that are usually zero. They're going to be something there because it didn't drown out in May and June. Yep. So. Right, where I hail from. Where you hail from? <laughs> County Cork in Ireland. No. Not that I, far back? I, I don't I don't think so. Like twenty four <laughs> years ago where I hail from. <laughs> All right. Last one. Is late emerging corn even doing anything? Yes. And one hundred percent. In some cases it is. Some I, it depends where it is in the field and how thick how thick the field yes, is. Yes, yeah. because I was in a field yesterday. Legitimately had lives less than ten thousand came up right away. Nice. Like it'd be like a plant here, and then you'd walk thirty feet, and then there'd be a, like three or four of them. That field was over. Like the late emerging stuff that came a month later was over my head. Yep. But then, like you, like I think what you're intimating, Matt, is like if it was like. 80% emerged, and the 20 or the 10% came later, that's probably getting shaded out a little <clears> bit more. Yeah, those are half height and don't even look like they're going to tassel. And if they do tassel, it won't be anything spectacular. I think you know, normally we talk about having like 1% late emergence, right? Yeah. And those 1% never do anything. If you get anywhere over like that 20% range, depending on how it is, but anything over that 20% range, I'm seeing those fields have potential to gain from those late emergers. Now, if your 20% is, you know, a plant here and a plant there, that's going to be harder. If you have a 20% as in it's an 80-acre field and this one hill 
was that was your twenty percent? Right. That's right. gonna be fine. Like, yep. and it's actually catching up. It's doing some good things. Yeah. Um, even if it's like a six foot stretch. Yeah, <clears throat> that's in in spots like you've got these scattered. Those are doing a lot better than the the refuge looking corn yeah. plants that. Where are, it was just straggler plants right. that didn't come. When it was stretches that didn't come, those look pretty good actually. My, yeah. my caveat to that is maybe a little bit of weed control issues because we didn't have shade. Yep. Yeah, we had, still don't have shade in some of those areas. That right, there's cornfields we haven't f- achieved full canopy yet. And which I'm is that, unusual for this time of year. Right, and that's where some of these later mergers, I'm like, they have potential, but I also can see the weeds starting to Max, come in there. And you, I get, it makes me nervous. Max, you sent me a pretty hairy picture yesterday. That was something. <laughs> that was good. I really had to like zoom in to find non-client picture, but just like I had to really zoom in to find the corn. <clears throat> There's a nice field of corn hidden behind the wall of water. This is what I explained. What I what I explained to Bill yesterday was I remember when I was an intern and Jeff used to get calls from friends in the industry, right, and asking for help on non-client stuff because you know they were just kind of lost. And it'd, it'd be like a nutritionist or somebody like that that yep. sees a field and they're like, "What is going? What on? What is going on here?" So and that, that that was the scenario. My there. first couple of years, I remember being like, "Man, nobody really calls me. I must not have a lot of friends in the industry yet. I'm new. I'm starting to get friends in the industry, and I get." You don't get the good stuff. You only get disasters. And right, you're like, right. what would you do? And I'm like, I wouldn't have done that in May. That would be the first thing, probably. <laughs> but, you know, so I got a friend in the industry reach out this week. That was, it was pretty phenomenal. It was definitely, yeah. Basically, it was one shot of Roundup. Is that what I'm gathering? I, I, I don't even know that. It was after first crop. Sprayed when there was n- nothing Nothing killed. there. <laughs> it was after first crop. I know that. So planted after first crop so that's a bad that was a bad this year that's a bad start like yeah. right there i don't care what you did after that that was already a really bad yeah which hindsight's 2020 we we got a lot of corn that went in after first crop i'm totally good with corn after first crop usually but the funny part is i i've got a lot of scenarios where guys put that in and i had a couple of guys actually work the ground and then plant it versus no tilling into the alfalfa which you'd think like i mean rewind that calendar back and go like why are we working fields when it hasn't rained in two months? Right. Those look better. I can say the best the best after first crop I have, I have one grower who worked and everybody else no-tilled. Yeah. The best is the one that worked, worked it. And I didn't want him to do it when he did it. I thought it was – I said no three times. I thought it was silly, and it's the best. It's so the best. he's and, right. And I, I haven't was, told him that yet, that he's right, but I'm, I'm going to have to. And mine, I was there when they were working it, and, like, from a 40 away, you couldn't see the tractor. With the dust. Wow. Yeah. And it's like... And we're doing this because... But I think what happened was the alfalfa and the grass came back so fast and the corn didn't germinate. Yeah. Whereas when you worked it, those got suppressed and you got maybe a little better seed soil contact. What's funny is you and say... Sprayed later that actually maybe got activated. Right. Yep. Instead of spraying over the top, which kind of killed it, but then you're... Other residuals never activated, so it didn't really do anything. Boom. Yeah. And I, I thought we were had to be more patient. You're saying the alfalfa grass, if you didn't 
work it came back really fast. Yeah. And I argue almost the other, well, I shouldn't say the other way, but I felt like we had to wait a long time to spray the stuff off because it wasn't actively growing, but it was definitely taking up moisture. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it didn't get green right away. So you had to wait because you're like, I know if we spray it now, we're not going to get, get a very good kill. Nope. And we should have because at least the half a kill would have been better than letting it get. By the time you got around to scouting it again, it was like six inches tall. This, this is those once every every uh, 12 years you go through a drought. So you got to remember all this stuff for 12 years from now when we go through it again. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because when was the last one? 2012? So 11 years? Even that. I. This this one's been more exceptional than your average drought. So good. This is hopefully a, hopefully we'll all be retired by the time we see something like this again. I'm guessing you that's get, why I gave you the side eye there, Max, because I'm hoping by then I am retired. Yeah. I'm guessing I'm not quite I'm not quite old enough. I'm guessing I'm going to get to live through another one. Uh, two for sure. These are terrible. This is this is not. I don't know. I never thought I'd say 2018 and 19 were better, but they might have been. This has been. I still think the crops are going to be good. The crops are going to be better. It's just the decisions that are so yeah. much harder to make because there's no there's no right answer to most of this. No, and this year's been it's even so regional to what kind of weather you've been getting. Like where I was last night, all the corns curled up because yeah. they just keep missing rains. And you go a mile you go down the, the road nor- and go in the Northwoods. It hasn't stopped raining for a month. Yeah, like big time. <clears throat> yeah, when when we were I was on vacation last week. And they were digging trenches around their tents because we got eight inches of rain while we were there. Yeah. Like, there, that was... And I down here, it's not rain, you that, know. That ground never gets... It's always burning up when right. you go to northern O'Connell County, and that yep. looks beautiful. Here's the one thing I have kind of told... I'm, I'm with you that I think the crops are better than what it feels like they should be. For all the belly aching we did in June about how dry it was, the damage it can do in June is nothing compared to what it can do now. Yeah. Like, this is... This is the real deal. Well, the damage it did in June was the corn didn't come up for a month. That's right. <clears throat> that's the problem more so than the yield. The yield hit came from not just not growing, not using the growing degree days. Because we had a ton of growing degree days in late May, early June. But, you know, I'm looking at my tassel dates. I felt like we were behind all year. We're not going to be very far behind at the end. If you go 45 days from tassel... The only problem is that's kind of going to be a junk junk science this year because our tasseling it tasseled for two weeks. Yeah. Right, it's going to tassel, yeah. But <clears> we're <throat> not as far behind as a, as I would have thought. But in some spots, yeah, in some spots. Yeah. But my point was, we don't. I I don't think I think the crops like you, Bill. I I think they look as pretty good, all things considered. But I know the next ten days here is probably more critical than than yeah. June June first through June fifteenth was. Yep. All right, that'll do it for our look at the field. Now let's move into our spotlight for today. So today we're going to look at some life-changing tech that came out of the Consumer Electronics Show. And the first thing on the list here is a agricultural drone. And the reason... I think we're going to talk about this particular article, and that's John Deere unveiled its first fully autonomous tractor at CES last year, but now they are uh, not the only ones showing off some ag technology. The Centiv by Merapi is a lightweight scouting robot 
that moves autonomously through fields, scanning all vegetation to detect potential threats to crops. The robot can cover 50 acres in a day, and its unique wheel system is designed to prevent damage to crops. According to Merapi, the robot can provide more details on a plot than can be seen with the human eye, capable of providing nutrient and water requirements, identifying biological threats, monitoring plant growth, and optimizing phenotyping. So it looks like somebody took the wheels off a bicycle and just left the spokes and put little rubber things on it. I don't know if you guys just yeah, I'm looking at that. see the picture there, but it's interesting. But 50 acres a day. We only scouted 50 acres a day. Yeah, I don't... But I guess it can scout 24-7, so it never stops. But what do you do with 3,000 acres? Right. So I, I, and with the phenotyping and stuff, I'm guessing it is geared more towards plots and research type stuff. But I'm more pumped about the next one. Yeah, that's what that's when I was like. The snowblower? The snowblower lawnmower yes. combo. Might have to scout a few more acres to afford one, but <laughs> I'm in. Yes, the that one's a, a non-ag tech, but it's the Yarbo, your Yarbo, three-in-one lawn care unit, snow blowing, lawn mowing, and leaf blowing. You, uh, you can use it as a feed pusher. What do you mean? It's not a sure. You could yeah, run it down, run it down change, the center aisle and blow your change the auger over to a brush or something, and then you could have it sweep up for you. Yeah. There's also the. Uh, they had another lawnmower robot. That one looked like it had a bagger attachment. And that one uses LIDAR to collect leaves and mow. So LIDAR? Yeah. Oof. Getting fancy. And go up and down? I'm sure it's like five grand, too. But Yeah. The EcoFlow Blade. Yeah, it's always interesting to see what technologies show up and what will have longevity and actually... Stay in the market versus things that show up there and disappear. But EcoFlow Blade retails for twenty eight ninety nine. That's not bad. It's pretty good. Wait, twenty eight is like twenty eight hundred. Yeah, twenty eight hundred. So twenty nine, twenty nine hundred. Yeah. Yeah, I think is some of the ooh the the Yarbo is seven thousand. <laughs> yeah. Seven grand to blow your snow. I'll find one on uh, Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> so you could buy in fifteen years. <laughs> buy a pretty big lawnmower, pretty big snow blower for seven grand. You could buy a bigger one and just cut your lawn mowing time in half and right. be in the same boat. But yeah, the scouting robot seemed interesting. It's always kind of neat to see what's what's out there. What's the future tech that's coming through? So. I like the. I always like these. Some of these, like the scouting robots, especially, and comparing. Well, this is the future, you know, potentially. But then you look at the acres and you talk about fifty. How many acres did you scout yesterday? <laughs> like, yeah. What what is our rule of thumb? It's like fifteen hundred to two thousand per person per day. day. Yeah. Is your is that's your that's your ideal scenario? Like time to. Yep. Yeah. So it's got a long way to catch up to that. Just need more of them. Yeah, it's a way to just sell buy more a fleet of them. I'm sure they're they're cheap. So yeah, I'm sure those are only seven thousand dollars each too. Just buy forty of them. Oof. All right, now we'll move into our egg history minute.
So this week I did a little something a little different. Uh, it was kind of an interesting article I came across while I was looking through for some some news stuff for the episode this week, and a bizarre history of a farm boy's survival. So in 1914, there was a burial that happened and all the neighbors came in and it was kind of just how the things worked. So these whole families would show up. Tiny town of Redmond, which is roughly seven miles west of Paris, Illinois, alongside elder siblings Kate and Harlan, Ed was raised on a 212-acre livestock and row crop operation centered around a two-story wood-shingled farmhouse. On the morning of, uh, on a May morning in 1916, a family friend was interred approximately three miles from their operation. Garbed in black, the entire family, farming community, including the English family, rolled down the dirt roads in buggies bound for the cemetery. Following the service, attendees remained graveside with a body and a coffin, as was custom. No one left until everything was done, including all the kids. So. Eight-year-old Harlan, six-year-old Kate, and Ed, who was two years old, all witnessed the burial. As they came home, the mother and father, Walter and Fanny, left Ed, the young boy, in the charge of his six-year-old sister, Kate. Well, she thought it was kind of cool to see the burial, so she decided to reenact it by putting her brother in a box, digging a hole in the garden, and mm. sticking him in there. Luckily, Jesus, <laughs> the bomb uh, asked where Ed was, and the daughter, Kate, said, in the garden. So she ran out, saw the fresh dirt. They were, screamed loud enough that all the farmhands came running, and they dug him out, had to take him to the hospital where he stayed for three weeks, but he did survive. So just kind of a weird thing to have happen, and I don't know, I've, I've done some things to my siblings, but if never buried them alive. We, we used to make hay forts in the, in the shed. And the one year we made like a kind of like a trap door. Yeah. Like you made a hole and then you covered it and then you'd hope your brothers would walk by and fall in. <laughs> but we didn't bury anybody. I think about some of the stuff we used to do as kids. Like I never, we never buried each other alive on purpose. We came very close on accident lots of times though. Yeah, we were allowed to play with heavy equipment when we were kids. So, Ooh. yeah, we. Yeah. I say the biggest thing was probably like in burying in snow, like sure. build a snow fort or something, and we, then a sibling would collapse it on the other one. We nice. tried to tunnel through the snowbank one year, like the giant snow pile. The, yeah, we got all the way through, and Dad pulled in the driveway and lost his mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the it's, shovel's just kind of peeking out the other side, and he's like, "Get out of!" And you know, my brothers are walking over the top, and I'm underneath, <laughs> like digging. And he's it's like, like a what are you doing? 10, 15 foot or better pile. This was like, we were hauling, that year we hauled snow with the payload, I remember, so it was like 30 foot high. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge one. That sounds like a great idea. That would have been yeah. instant death. That yeah. would not have been like a, oh, you know, it was scary. That would have been instantly done. Like a 10 year old, that sounds like a great idea. Right? Yeah. So we're, I was probably, say I was between 10 and 12. So if I was 10, that would mean I'd, my brothers were eight and five. Yeah. So it was like, this is the perfect age to get into trouble. And die. Yeah, and die. And almost die. We managed to do it every winter, though. Like, we didn't learn. We didn't get any better. 
Well, yeah, it's one thing to to build a snow fort and a drift that's a couple of feet high, but yeah, to take a pile that big. Yeah, that's what we used to. That's but that was more fun, right? <laughs> I don't know. If I I was never a Boy Scout, but I have friends that were Boy Scouts, and they would talk about that was one of the things they would do is build winter shelters, and then that was the test if you could walk over the top and if it was structurally sound. Nice. But again, I don't think they were thirty feet high. If you continue to read in this article, they got a lot of crazy stories of things that went on in their farm. Like, yeah, no, they're, they're wild. The the sister was apparently the wild child because she, like, years later, tricked her brother into clotheslining himself on the clothesline while riding horses around. And, yeah. Um, they got to see World Series between Yankees and the Cubs at Wrigley Field where Babe Ruth called a shot. The great Bambino. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's, they've got some interesting things. And the one, one family member came awful close to dying, but luckily he didn't. And I wonder how the sister felt later in life, if you ever, like, would bring that up at family gatherings. Like, hey, remember that time you tried to bury me alive? Remember that one time? But, yeah, interesting stuff, kind of weird, but thought it was interesting enough to share, so... All right, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please subscribe and tell a farmer friend. If you're looking for our podcast, you can search Tilth Talk Radio in Apple Podcasts or on Android. Uh, Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM are the ones we like to use. Uh, Listen on your computer or smartphone browser. You can go to tilthag.com backslash podcasts. We're also available on Amazon Music. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. So now it's time for some current events. So let's do some cool beans. That's corny. Cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. Our cool beans this week is Texas is the first state to report mature corn. So the Lone Star State is the first nation to report mature corn, but for... More of the top 18 corn-growing states have reported denting in the latest USDA crop report. So, you know, we may be going through pollination, but can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel because things are really starting to move out there in the countryside. So, I saw they were chopping corn in Missouri this week. No. Yeah, I saw the Peterson brothers had. So, yeah, Texas. That's Kansas, right? Kansas, sorry, not Missouri. Yeah. Texas leads the nation with 34% of its crop mature. And that's equal to last year and above the five-year average. Kentucky has 10% dented, which is behind the five-year average of 16%. North Carolina is at 23% dented, up 8% from last week. And it's 13% behind the five-year average. South Dakota reported 1% of their corn is dented. And Tennessee is at 10% dented. Nationally, 29% of the corn crop has reached at least the dough stage. All the top corn-growing states reported at least 1% of their respective crop has reached this stage. That includes um, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Ohio, North Dakota, and Wisconsin, all reporting single-digit corn dough statistics. So there is dough corn somewhere in the state. Not a lot. Sweet corn, maybe. 
There is some stands out I see this week. There's a couple popping up now that got yeah, it's finally corn. seemed to start moving. So I feel like that was on the later side this year too. The sweet mm-hmm. corn. There's a if you get down to the canning crop area, which I am so blessed to be able to work there. There is sweet corn all over the roads. Yeah. What's the average price? No, I mean like there's trucks. Oh, there's that cobs there's that are falling the, off the trucks. Mm, oh, sure. so that's free. It's got some pretty good road rash, but yeah, you could <laughs> if you wanted it. Scratch and dent corn. I also most of that is like the um, the canning sweet corn. I would not recommend that for eating. It's not by color. It's not very good. <laughs> it's not very good. I've tried it from a couple growers. You know that you know they grow a field a year, and it's not like some some magic thing happens when they put it in the can where it tastes good and it comes back out. But if you try and pick it and eat it. It's not the same. It's not the same. Not the same. Yep. I'm like I'm like five to seven days out on my sweet corn, and I'm getting very excited. My first batch of sweet corn. It looks good. I drove by the other it day. It does look good, doesn't yeah. it? Grandpa would be proud. It's almost like I know how to grow corn. It's weird. <laughs> my dad is like Funny shocked. How that works. My dad is shocked every week. He's like, dude, that corn it looks so nice. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I do for a living? I'm like, no, duh. Like, I would hope so. if it looked bad, we would have issues. Like... <laughs> it has to look good, right? That's your uh Yeah, my lawn looks terrible. Like right. you wouldn't think I know anything about plants if you looked at my lawn, but my if you go by sweet corn patch, aside from the junk planting that But that is all about how much time and effort you put into your lawn. Yeah, none. None. Because if I have free time, you know what I'm doing? Not putting not fertilizer on my corn. <laughs> not mowing your lawn. <laughs> not mowing my lawn. All right. All right. That's corny this week. From tornado to drought, now severe flooding. Kentucky farmers have faced more crop losses from weather extremes. So, yeah, the state of Kentucky has been getting hammered the last little while here. So 19 months after the EF4 tornado tore through Mayfield, Kentucky, the deadliest in Kentucky's history, the community was hit with massive flooding this week. Nearly 12 inches of rain fell toward the end of July in a 24-hour period, setting a new record. Intense rain also came with hail and strong winds. Powerful storm caused life-threatening flooding that gaped open roads, suffocated crops, and yet another natural disaster and blow to western Kentucky communities and surrounding land. So, as bad as it could be, it could always, could always be worse. Somebody's always got it worse, and Kentucky's really been getting hammered. So... It seems like every year there's a, a state or an area that just gets, like... Unloaded on. Yeah, there's just one spot that just kind of... They get everything all year. You know, they get dry and wet. They get, you know, wind. They get hail. They get all that stuff. See, apparently this year it's Kentucky. Because yeah. we, have, we have... I think we've talked about a couple different stories there this year of uh, some pretty bad weather, so... Yep, it's, it's not their year, and hopefully next year will be better for them, but... Yikes. All right, and now we'll wrap things up with our Field Good Friday. So this week, looking at a uh, farmer who came from Denmark to Lakota, North Dakota in 2004 and stayed to raise a family. So Moss Peterson is a longtime employee of a North Dakota farm, fulfilling a dream he had from his home country of Denmark. He's always dreamed of farming and he had the dream, just had to go try it. So he went to North Dakota and started work in 2004 as a 
first on a J-1 training visa. And he knew someone in Denmark who had worked for the farm that he went to. So that meant he had the process backwards of having the job before he got the visa, but still came across. And he has since helped recruit other workers from Denmark and has obtained a green card to work in the U.S. permanently. Uh, If we have a new employee, typically they've been referred by one of our former employees. And so it's not uncommon to see that. But Peterson said wages in the U.S. hold some potential workers back when he factoring in housing and transportation. He figured he had roughly an equal amount of disposable income at the end of each month as he would have had back in Denmark. But there is also time and expense that went into obviously coming here. So it's not just not as easy as jumping on a plane and go going to get a job. But um, he apparently likes it enough. So he's stayed for let's see, 2004, almost 20 years. Once in North Dakota, Peterson and other workers have to adjust to the bigger fields. Uh, Denmark is a place, he said, 50 acres would be considered a large field. So a little bit different coming from there. And considering what's happening in Denmark right now, I'm sure he's glad to be here farming and not back there. So kind of a, a neat story that he came came across and ended up, finding a wife and settling down and having a family. So, Like, he said he accidentally stayed. Yeah. When he accidentally found a girlfriend. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I also think it's interesting that he lives uh, in Michigan, North Dakota. Yeah. He, he goes on in here to say that she was one of the two single women <laughs> in, in Ma- Mapes, Mappus, North Dakota. And the other, with the other being her grandmother. <laughs> That's pretty good. Good he made this decision. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have kids. But <clears throat> so yeah, cool kinda, story. Yeah, neat story of a guy following his dreams and making him a reality. So that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about. Topics in the field, such as the potential for disease and what we've seen in out of rootworm beetles and wheat yields. In our spotlight, we took a look at some new tech that was showcased at the Consumer Electronics Show from this year, including a scouting drone. Egg History Minute, we talked about the bizarre family story of a farmers in Illinois whose son was buried alive by his sibling. Cool beans, that's corny, our cool beans this week. Texas is the first state to report mature corn. That's corny. Is Kentucky getting hammered with natural disasters? And our field good Friday was a Denmark man who moved to North Dakota for a job and decided to stay and raise a family and become a farmer. So thanks for listening. And as always, happy farming.